We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online. That is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning into this episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Tamina Watson, your host of Tamina Talks Immigration. Welcome. This summer, I decided to record a series called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era. I wanted to speak with some of the lawyers who have stepped up beyond their day jobs to make a difference in immigration, civil rights, and much more. I wanted their insights from their work in the last four years so we can learn lessons to take into the future, especially as one of the most consequential elections in America lies ahead. The interview series became a book called Legal Heroes in the Trump Era, The Inspired, Expand Your Impact, Change the World. The book can be found on Amazon and other outlets. I hope you will pick it up. Enjoy these interviews. I hope you'll learn a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, podcast listeners. Be sure to tune in to Tamina Talks Immigration, where immigration attorney Tamina Watson discusses the latest on immigration news and issues. She talks to those who have impacted U.S. immigration laws and policies, as well as notable immigrants who have made great contributions. Check out Tamina Talks Immigration to also hear your questions be answered. Subscribe now for the latest on everything and anything immigration. series of interviews were conducted during the summer of 2020. This particular interview was recorded on June 25th. Please keep that in mind as you hear any topical references. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone, this is Tamina Watson on Tamina Talks Immigration. I have an incredible guest today and I cannot wait for you to meet her. Uh, I've known her for a long time and she is a fellow immigration attorney, but she is also an author of a children's book called Our American Dream. Fiona McKinty, immigration attorney in Chicago of McKinty Law Group. Fiona, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. Well, you know, we're recording this just in the middle of the chaos that the latest travel ban has brought us. But, you know, there's so much to talk about travel ban, of a travel ban, of a travel after travel ban. Uh, so let's not talk about today's problem, because what we want to talk about is how this problem has become today's issue, because it all started with a different travel ban. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? So I was born and I grew up in Dublin, Ireland. And how did you get to the US? So I I first came to the US through, I was studying law in Dublin, um, outside the US, in Ireland and the UK, I think, and also Canada, some of, lots of other places. You can study law at the undergraduate level post um, high school. And so that's what I was doing. And I got the opportunity to go to participate in an exchange program in law school here in Chicago at DePaul's Law School. So I came for a year, as the story goes, um, on an exchange, on a J1 exchange visa for a year to study at the law school. And 
pretty much just fell in love with Chicago from day one almost and so I finished out the year went back to Ireland graduated and then came back out to go to law school here and so I've been here permanently since 2005. Oh, wow. Me too, actually. 2005. Oh, yeah. Wow. I got married to my husband and then I moved here in 2005. And I too, I love Seattle. It's just amazing. And I have my dream husband and I love doing what I do. I just Aww. wouldn't do anything. So oh, yeah, we've great. had parallel lives somehow. Um, yeah. and so, Did you always want to be a lawyer? No, not at all, actually. And so I come from a pretty big Irish family, but I was one of the first to go to college in my extended family. And my parents never really got that opportunity. They both went straight into the workforce at 18, um, which was pretty typical, I think, for their generation. Um, It was kind of expected that you know, he needed to go and help out. And and my dad was the eldest, the eldest of eight. And so he went in to to um to work you know and, and contribute to the family in that way so it what well, I did not come from a legal background a legal family at all a very supportive family but not one that had lawyers or you know that type of like relatives in in the legal industry but I know so I definitely didn't want, always want to be a lawyer it kind of happened in a in a um, not by chance, but just it was, happened in a weird way. I basically, my mom took me to a guidance counselor for careers when I was in high school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I liked a lot of different things. So I sat down in his house and did all these crazy aptitude tests and, you know, spent hours doing these little like, you know, quizzes and everything. And then at the end of the day, he came back and he said, you know, I've looked at everything. And he said that he thought actually what his recommendation was journalism for me. He said, I think journalism, media journalism, which is crazy to think what I have ended up doing. And he said, he said, why don't you try and get into study law if you can? There are limited, very limited places. And so it was pretty competitive. He said, why don't you try to get into study law? Because a lot of journalists have a bachelor's degree in law and it would be a really good foundation for a career in journalism. And so I said, okay, that seemed to, you know, I thought it would be like writing. And, and so I went for it. And then I just pretty much fell in, in love with, with studying law. And so, and so that's pretty much all I've been doing. Then I went into study law at 18 and I've been doing it ever since. How interesting. What a great counselor, because I mean, honestly, it's almost like it was a prophecy that's come true. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. I must tell him. I, he was like a random, like private, he wasn't through the school or anything. It was like a private, like kind of business where this is what he would do. And so I've told the story a few times and I've said, oh, I must go back and tell him that he was, he was really correct. And I haven't had a chance to do that. I keep forgetting, but I must this time. I Maybe this is the motivation because, and, yeah. and if people don't know it, I mean, one of the things uh, that us lawyers have to do is advocate for our clients. And you have been a vocal advocate being in the media uh, and talking about the laws that have been handed down one after another, particularly in the last three years. And it's journalism to some extent. So how how wonderful. So I hope you do contact him. And so tell us a little bit about your legal career up to today. So I did the law degree in, so I have the Bachelor's of Civil Law from UCD in Dublin and then got my law degree here in the US, my Juris Doctor from Chicago Kent College of Law. And um, during my studies here, um, during that, the JD program was when I really fell in love with immigration. Um, So 
I was always a kind of a fierce social justice advocate and my dad's nickname for me since I've been a little kid has been Save the Whales. So he's like, I, I thought maybe I'd do something environmental related or something, you know. And then when I saw immigration, I thought that really is checking a lot of boxes. But what, I wasn't really sure what would be, you know, what would be involved in it. And, and almost from the start, I, I really felt like I had found my calling. And so I kind of specialized in immigration in law school. I worked in a couple of um, clinics. There was like a nonprofit that we worked with through the Chicago Legal Clinic. And so I was able to work on some cases there. And then the law school had like almost many little law offices there. And one was an immigration firm in the law school. And so I was able to work there too. And so I left law school knowing that I was definitely going to be working in immigration. Um, and then I left and I worked in a pretty high volume immigration practice and I worked there for quite a few years. And then I went out on my own and have set up my own law firm and been in practice for 10 years or so, nine, 10 years at this stage. So That's amazing. And again, parallel lives. Um, when I, I, so I was already a barrister in the UK, which, you know, didn't mean anything until George Clooney married one, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, uh, when I moved here, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I thought litigation would be it. But I had, you know, I had a New York bar exam uh, living in Washington state. It didn't quite match and then immigration fell on my lap and I went into it kicking and screaming but once I started it the very first day I just fell in love with it and then my firm also I this year is 11 years old and you know it's congratulations back so thank you yeah you too and so um Immigration has been our passion, yours and mine. And we have seen many changes, you know, uh, between the time we started practicing, because it was the recession at the time, to, Mm -hmm. you know, 2016. What happened November 2016 for you when the election was lost? Oh, my God, I actually got chills thinking about that, that evening, just how how sad I felt and how scared I was about what was to come. And I remember, like I remember going to work the next day and like stopping in Dunkin' Donuts and just kind of looking around and having, there was just a really palpable like atmosphere. I don't, you know, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. I feel like everybody kind of felt that way. It was just really weird. And then, and then I think a lot of people were saying to me, oh, it's not going to be as bad as you think. You know, it's not, he's going to surround himself. Trump's going to surround himself with, he's going to build a team of people, of advisors and certain things. And, you know, this is what I kept hearing. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think me so. Too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's what you think, and that's people were, who voted for him were saying, you know, what? I know he's not a politician, but that's what I like about him. And he's going to put the right people in the right places. And obviously we know that that didn't happen. Um, and I feel like it's just gone from bad to worse from an immigration point of view. I mean, it's horrific, the things that have happened over the course of this presidency. It's, you couldn't, you wouldn't believe it. If you would have told me ahead of time mm-hmm. that these things were going to happen, I don't think anybody would have believed that um, that, that would have been the case. I agree. I agree. But you know, one of the things that I did was I just, the, the nervousness and the fear of what could happen, even though I, none of us could have predicted it was as bad as it is. And uh, I started a committee immediately in November. 
and I went to our chapter dinner, AILA chapter dinner, and I, you know, stood up and said, who's going to be in this committee? <laughs> People ran away, <laughs> but I still got 30 signatures. <laughs> and then, you. you know, we were, you know, by January, when the travel ban hit, I was able to be in position to take action. But let's come back to you. So what was the first thing that you did when, um, what was the first action that happened that took you out of your office and got you to act? Well, the very first thing actually that happened was the night of the election. I had seen a post online from one of the Irish newspapers that were looking for comment for people, looking for people who were living in America to comment on the results of the election. And I remember typing in a thing. I was in bed. My husband was fast asleep. My kids are in bed and I was bawling, crying in bed. And I was like, I'm crying, writing this. I had a, I had, a, did I have, to, I'm trying to even, I can't even remember how old my kids were at this stage, but I had two kids. I still have two kids. Um, and my, I just remember thinking, I can't believe my daughter is going to grow up in a country where a man who speaks about women like that is going to be president. And so, um, but anyway, so I, I provided, I gave a comment to a, a big newspaper in Ireland. So that was like the first kind of taste of like media advocacy, really. It was just a tiny little comment. It wasn't anything. Um, but the first thing that really brought me out of my office was the travel ban. Um, and I think you were obviously pretty involved in that too. But um, ahead of that, myself and my brother works with me in my firm, Ray. He's also an immigration lawyer and um, qualified in Ireland as a solicitor and came over and worked, worked has been working with me for years. But the two of us had signed up to be on standby through the IRAP committee, you know, the, um, mm-hmm. and so, so we had signed up to see like in advance of anything being issued. And then of course we all know what happened. Um, and we went to O'Hare. We were one of the first lawyers at O'Hare airport here in Chicago. So, and I think the rest is history and with respect to that. Yeah. And, and, and of course there were various iterations. Um, I actually didn't move from my table for three days because I had told everybody I'm here, you're going to need immigration lawyers and uh, I have them. <laughs> and then my phone and email blew up. The only time I actually uh, got out of my room was when I spoke at a rally. It was the first time I spoke at a rally where only all I saw were heads. Like, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how many thousands of people were there. And, it, you know, from that was born Airport Lawyer, uh, interestingly enough. So talk, let's fast forward a little bit. So you yeah. have been basically at the forefront, you know, advocating for clients and immigrants and uh, all these changes that are going in. Uh, would you call this activism? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I do refer to myself as an activist, as an activist. Yeah. And would you say lawyering has evolved in the Trump era? You know, it's not just you and me who have been at the forefront challenging these immigration issues, but a lot of lawyers have stepped up sort of, you know, how can I help? What can I do? And to me, it seems like being at the desk, creating forms, writing letters, that's not just lawyering anymore. It's been more. What would you say is, you know, your opinion on that? Yeah, I think that um, lawyers who want to get involved have found ways to do it. I think that we are, um, and look, everybody thinks about things in a different way. Everyone has difficult, different, like not all lawyers are going to be, you know, this way inclined, whether politically or, you know, called to, to be activists in this way. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's obviously each to their own type of thing. Um, 
but for me and for the work that I do I feel like this is the this is our my role as an immigration lawyer is more than the work that I do here in the office which is great and it's so important too obviously it's really important but it's what else can we do and I feel like we have a critical role to play in the narratives of the we're like the gatekeepers of these beautiful stories um and you know we see what you know our clients we see the turmoil we see their success we are we are so privileged to have such a front row view of you know the beauty that it can be the american dream and i feel like given the the platform that we might have as attorneys as educated professionals as professionals whose area is very much in the media right now we have a lot of opportunity to share those stories and so I again not everybody has to do it but I it's a part of the job that I really like these days as hard as it is. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's uh, exactly how I feel and I couldn't even add anything to it. But talking about education and narrative, you've taken that even further. And so tell us about the book that you wrote. And, it, 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 you know, I, I just got it. It, oh, arrived. it just arrived. I haven't had a chance oh, to read yeah. it, but here we are. I've just flicked through it a little bit and there are some beautiful pictures. Let me just show yeah. you what's in it. Uh, there's some pictures of um, stories. Uh, you know, the illustrations are beautiful, just gorgeous illustrations. Um, tell us what inspired you to write a children's book. So I mentioned that I have, and thanks for your lovely words. Our illustrator is incredible. Um, she's actually based in Italy. She's just unreal. So I have two children and my kids now are six and a half which is that half is very important and four and a half and I just over the years we've been invited into their schools to read books and I always wanted to bring in books that I felt were that would just have some type of purpose behind them I just was thinking oh you know I wish there was a, a book that I felt highlighted the just the beauty of the types of clients and the stories that we get to hear um, and I just wanted to showcase them in a way that I felt like really honoured the immigration narrative that I see. Um, I feel like we hear a lot, uh, you know, as, as, as active as I try to be on Twitter, <laughs> I don't think I'll ha- ever have as many followers as President Trump. You know, I don't think we, my platform will never be that big. So I feel like we're constantly trying to counteract a very negative, hateful narrative. And so I thought, uh, why, why not put something positive um, out there? And so I wanted to kind of think about the stories that I could share and a way that I could um, share them that makes children realize that it's a good idea and a nice, it's how beautiful this country can be if we just open up our um, doors and our hearts and just, you know, to welcome people from, from all different places. And everybody's story is different. You know, everyone comes to America or ends up here from different ways. And the idea is really that no, no one dream is more important than the other. You know, there's a lot of the stuff that we've heard about, you know, oh, the Statue of Liberty is only for European immigrants and all this type of stuff is just absolutely ridiculous. And that was not at all the foundation of, of America. Yeah, well, you've done a beautiful job. And who else uh, would be a better audience than children? Because, you know, that's our next generation. 
One of the things that I have done in the last uh, three months is create a children's program for mindfulness, because I feel like if there is a way to nurture our children with love and ways for them to understand that you don't always have to be angry and agitated, particularly when something like COVID-19 changes your life upside down. You know, if we are able to nurture our children to the best of their ability, you'd have a better future. So what you've done for children's education is very, very uh, profound. And I'm glad you did that. Any other books in the pipeline? Um, you know, I had a few. There were a few that were in the pipeline. There still are. Um, but before pre-COVID, I feel like we'll be talking about our lives like pre and post-COVID <laughs> for like, you know, um, PC, like the other both be PC, PC. But um pre and post COVID. So pre COVID, I actually was going to write one with another immigration lawyer colleague, um, like a food related one that we had an idea about. Um, and then I also think, you know, the characters in my book are based on real people. They're based on real clients. There's a dreamer in there that's based on an amazing activist um, known as Belen Sisa. She actually was Bernie Sanders. She was the Latinx press secretary for him during his campaign. But um, you know, someone like her, she deserves her own book, her, her, a full book just about her. You know, my client Yulia, who's the Russian artist, she could get her own book. So, I mean, I think that they're, they're, I hopefully have more to say and flesh out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you never so know. Hopefully. Watch this yeah. space. Watch this yeah. space. So one of the things that I want to ask you is, um, going back to legal activism, writing the book is also a form of activism because, you know, it's a way to get your voice out there and educate and and also have the narrative that is necessary. But there are a lot of lawyers out there who want to make a change, want to, you know, uh, add and contribute to all the atrocities that we're seeing. What would you say to them? How can they get involved? Um, I mean, I think there's, there's actually lots of different ways for attorneys to get involved, depending on what your field. And it doesn't have to be, um, you can do pro bono, you can do other stuff in other areas, obviously assuming that you get training and are able to deliver competent representation. But I gave a, I was part of a panel for the Chicago Bar Association where we were actually speaking about, it was like lawyering in the Trump era or something like that. It definitely, it was definitely more, um, it, it, you know, different titles than that. But that was kind of the, the idea was was that type of thing. And somebody was talking about um, expungements. Somebody else was talking about, you know, civil rights. So obviously with all the protests um, that have been going on, you know, how can you help? There's, uh, what are they called? Legal observers that can watch protests and stuff like that and bail, you know. So I feel like there's lots of different ways for lawyers to kind of um, tap into that activism box. Um, And some of the... And so it just depends really on what you're looking for. Some of the attorneys that came actually that we ended up picking up on the way to the airport from that first travel ban, neither of those were immigration lawyers. Um, They had just done pro bono volunteer work through the NIJC, the National Immigrant Justice Centre, and had been on their email list for pro bono opportunities. Um, So I think there are lots of different ways to Mm -hmm. get involved. And I think that um, those two attorneys, I think they might have been in corporate law. And so their day to day was like corporate law, but they wanted to tap into that kind of, um, you know, that real social change. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's definitely there are probably more there's probably never been more opportunities to do that right now. 
Mm-hmm. That's really true. I mean, there are no civil rights that are not being <laughs> assaulted and yeah. oh <laughs> human I rights. Know. So, I mean, this is where this is where you know the idealism that we had when we went to law school about changing the world. This is the time to use it, and so that's that's really profound. And I'm so happy that you're able to share those thoughts. I I share every single one of them, and you know, I, if I think about what you know I've seen of you doing and all the things that I've been doing I mean it's been a really exhausting three and a half years and you know I think there's a lot to do between now and November and who knows after that but thank you for being on the show thank you for sharing your thoughts thank you for doing all that you do for the Immigration Lawyers Association for immigrants in general and the community and I hope you continue to do all the things that you're doing so thank you for being here Thanks so much for having me. And I just will say that I have never been more proud to be an immigration lawyer, to have you, to call you as a colleague and friend. I'm going to feel like I'm going to well up now talking about this, but it's a tough, it's a really tough job. And I just feel so fortunate to be able to work alongside colleagues like you and like all the rest of our AILA immigration attorneys. And, you know, our clients really, really, really need us and other immigrants, you know, to show up and to speak out. And I have, honestly, I feel in a way, how did we end up in doing such amazing work at such a critical time in America's, um, you know, it's a very formative time now. And I feel like as hard as it is, it is, I don't know, I feel like, could there be a more rewarding area of law? I mean, it's each to their own, but I do feel like this is just incredibly rewarding work. It's tough, but it's so rewarding. I I 100% agree with you. You know, I feel like that too. I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time to make the right kind of change. And uh, I feel very grateful and privileged to be able to help people at a time when this type of help is so necessary. And so I hope you'll come to the show again in the future when you have your next book. You've done so much work as well yourself. I hope I'm sure everybody knows about the incredible work that you've done and that you're continuing to do at the DACA clinics and like, the legal defense fund and i mean you're just thank you're you. unstoppable so thank you it's thank my you. absolute honor to be here well thank you we're all doing what we can and you know we're all a team essentially yeah so there's it. more to come and we'll talk about this again sometime well thank you fiona i'll Take speak care. to you very soon bye tamina see you bye bye Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206-292-5237 to schedule an appointment. Mention this podcast to receive a 10% discount off your initial consultation fee. Today's episode was produced and edited by Nicole Lockett.